0: A long time ago there was a movie called Ice Age 2: The Meltdown. And there was one section of the movie that is absolutely memorable. Uh, If you've seen a movie, you're familiar with the squirrel who throughout this movie is on a never ending quest for the acorn, the eternal acorn. He tries and tries to get that acorn and meets up with a variety of misadventures along the way. He never succeeds in getting the acorn. But towards the end of the movie, The squirrel has a near-death experience. And someone is giving him CPR, but he finds himself at the gates of squirrel heaven, a place where the streets are paved, of course, with acorns. The entire scene is utterly silly and absurd, but also very, very funny. The squirrel grins and dances and gathers up the acorns and feels more at home than he has ever felt back in the Ice Age. And then he sees it. The mother of all acorns, a giant acorn to put all other acorns to shame. And just as he is about to grasp the giant acorn, well, let's watch. <laughs> Someone brings the poor squirrel back from the dead. It was a day he will never ever forget. It was a day to remember. This is one very unhappy squirrel who would never again feel at home in ice age because he had seen the other side. It was a day to remember. Guys, uh, this story, as funny as it is, is a universal uh, story and a Uh, a story that has been told throughout the ages. And it's all reflected, of course, in the the biblical story of that moment when we do die and when we cross over to the other side. And and the Bible has some really clear, vivid imagery about this in the book of Revelation. And um, the truth is that one day, every single one of us, every human being who has ever lived, will stand before God. And popularly, this is called the judgment day. And today we come to that passage of scripture about the day of judgment, the day that we come face to face with God. Um, what would, somebody wrote, what would you say about a father who failed to warn his children of impending danger What would you say to a friend who was going down a dangerous road, a new disaster awaited you at the other end, yet offered you no counsel and made no attempt to stop you? How about a doctor who knew you had a life-threatening illness, but simply told you, take two aspirin, go home and rest. Or suppose a police officer saw smoke rising from your roof or witnessed burglars breaking into your house, but never tried to intervene or alert anyone. And what would you say about a pastor who never talked about the day to remember. The day that we die or the day that we meet God. What's that going to be like? Well, it would be, you know, and for some people, this is, this is, this is going to be a glorious day. And for some people, it's going to be the worst day. Either one, it's a day to remember. So I want to take you, as we come to the end of the book of Revelation, to an incredibly powerful scene. Um, in the book of Revelation it follows uh, all that we've seen about the millennium the thousand year reign of Christ uh, the beast uh, the antichrist uh, have been thrown into the lake of fire the thousand years have ended Satan himself tries one last rebellion but he himself is defeated and he is thrown in to the lake of fire uh, to, to hell And then we come to this passage, and and I want you to listen carefully today to it. It's a day to remember, not just then, but now. Then I saw a great white throne, and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. Here's the first principle I want to give to you from this passage, and we'll go back to verse 11. But the first principle is this. God is the just judge of all humanity. Go back to verse 11. This day to come, the book of Revelation, it pictures in powerful images. It is symbolic, but it, it represents reality of a day that people will face God. The day of pure justice. Um, he has this, uh, we'll come back to this verse in a moment, but uh, he is the judge, the great white throne, the judgment throne of God. Um, you know, in the, in, you know in, 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 as we read through the Bible, you find out God's a judge. Now, I, I want to tell you something. What we're going to talk about today, judgment, hell, is, is not, doesn't get a lot of airtime in a lot of places. But it's, it's, it, you're going through the book of Revelation, and we're faithful to cover all the passages, including this one. We talked about it last week. We talk about it today. And then next weekend, we move on to heaven for the next uh, two or three weekends to come. So we'll end in the glorious end. But today, we come to a very powerful and sobering passage about God. Uh, and that day to remember, the day of pure justice. And so we, we see in this first passage, a great white throne, one seated on it, f- heaven and earth flee from his presence, because it's so overwhelming to be in the presence of the judge of all the earth. And no place was found for them. And they, they, even they are just scattering, running away. In the Bible, God is a judge. What is a judge? Just quickly. A judge is the person with authority. Uh, Psalm 82 says, Rise up, O judge, O O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. When when a judge comes in the courtroom, all rise, the honorable, so-and-so, so-and-so, judge, out of respect for his authority. A judge is a person with authority. A judge is a person identified, scripturally speaking, with what is good and what is right. In Deuteronomy, in the Song of Moses, it is sung: God is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. When one is considered for a position of judge, character matters. You cannot depend upon a lawbreaker to uphold the law. But God is a just judge. He's the just judge of all humanity. A judge is also to be a person with wisdom, who's able to discern the truth. In the book of uh, Judges, Jephthah says, cries out to God, let the Lord, the judge, decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and between the Ammonites. He appeals to one who has great wisdom to rule righteously on what is right and true, what is good, what is evil. A judge is also a person with power who is able to carry out a sentence. Psalm 75 says, But it is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. He declares one not guilty. He declares the other guilty. And whether in the courtroom or in a sports event or anyone who makes the call, the judge has the power to carry out the sentence. I remember in, in college, I was a baseball umpire. And ultimately, I call balls and strikes. And it doesn't really matter what the batter says. It, it doesn't matter how much he argues. And it, on, on the basis, the umpire calls it, you're either out or you're safe. Now with instant replay and all that, there's all these appeals and challenges. But back when I was in college, that didn't exist. And so your word was the final word. It just whatever it was. The judge has the authority, has power, and is able to carry out the decision and the sentence. The fact that God is our judge, a judge of all humanity, and a just one, is the continual theme of both the Old and New Testaments. Though it is not commonly taught or thought about today, in fact, we, 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 we think somehow even that God is wrong for being a judge. God would never judge anyone. Are you kidding me? The book of the Bible is filled with God judging. In a righteous and good way, the way good judges are, the ones who carry out uh, sentences against evildoers and the ones who uphold justice, that's a good judge. And that's God, who God is. Uh, if you look at the Old Testament, Adam and Eve, Noah in the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, the plagues on Egypt, Israel in the wilderness, Moses in the rock, God is a righteous, good, holy judge. Genesis, Abraham was confident of God's justice, would always be pure. He, he says to God, Far be it from you, God, to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of the earth, of all the earth, do right? In other words, he was confident that God would always judge righteously. God's not going to ever make a mistake in his judgment. In Ecclesiastes, after the search of this king for the key to the meaning of life, the writer of Ecclesiastes concludes his book with these final words. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole calling of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil. This is just standard Old Testament teaching. Daniel says this. The prophet Daniel envisions a day, a a final day of judgment which is reflected in our passage today. But at that time your people Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And Daniel talks about the opening of the books. Then the books were opened. And God, they appear before God. New Testament. Oftentimes the Old Testament is played against the New Testament. But the God of Old Testament is this judging harsh God. And the God of the New Testament is the loving God who just forgives everything. In actuality, the New Testament intensifies both the grace, mercy, love of God and intensifies the judgment and justice of God as well. Both of them. Jesus taught more on God's coming judgment and on hell than anyone else in the Bible, by far. He, he talked about it in half his parables have to do with judgment, final judgment. Wow. And then the rest of the New Testament Acts 10, Peter says, God commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one whom God, Jesus, God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. It's part of his gospel presentation. Acts 17, Paul preached the gospel at Athens saying, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus. He has given proof of this to all people by raising Him from the dead. Peter writes, he warned against rejecting the Lord. He says in 1 Peter, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, in his straight shooter, he said, it is destined for man to die once and after that to face judgment. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to catch the drift of all these things. It's very clear in the scriptures. Summary of all of them is God is, is love and mercy. God is filled with compassion. He is slow to anger and abounding in love, forgiving sins. He is filled with goodness. And he is also the God of justice. God is our judge. And here at the, near the end of the book of Revelation, we get this powerful image of the final day uh, of of God's uh, dealing with humanity in this way, I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. That's a day to remember. God is the just judge of all humanity. Um, verse. Uh, the one seated on it is God himself. And the effect of this awesome sight is that earth and sky flee from the presence of God. There's no place for them. But go on, verse 12. And I also saw the dead, the great and the small, everybody, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Don't know exactly what the books are. We get a little hint of it here. But there's some books over it. I know those, this is the Bible books. This is the more commonly uh, it's, it's felt and often written in prior to the New Testament days that the books were the record of the lives of, of every person. All that they had done in their life. The record, the, the book of your life, the book of my life. All of that's recorded in this symbolic vision. That's what's written here. It's a powerful image guys. And Uh, the truth is that we must all stand before God in judgment. Everybody. Now, I need to tell you a couple things. Uh, We're going to come to, this is called sometimes the great white throne judgment. Now, I'm not going to argue with anybody over the particulars in the timing of this. Many, many Christians, and and myself included, I lean into the idea that uh, we uh, Christians are not actually at this white throne judgment seat because we've already appeared before the judgment seat of christ much earlier than this time we we die and we appear before the judgment seat of christ and and but the book of revelation also talks about the day of judgment being the day for judging those who have done evil and for rewarding his servants so understand if you're a part of the of the family of jesus christ you're not going to appear before god in terms of him condemning you we'll get to that in a minute but understand this but it is everybody, one way or another, at some judgment seat, we will appear. Small and great. Everybody who has ever lived and died, from every place, from every time, no one can escape this day. It is a day to remember. It is the day of pure justice, holy justice, good justice. And the dead are all raised to stand before God's throne. And, the, and it says uh, the books were opened, the standard by which they are judged. The books containing the deeds, it would seem, of every individual are opened, reviewed, examined. The proceedings of this courtroom sort of uh, scene are completely unbiased and totally fair. And it is clear from all the rest of the scriptures that no one will be declared righteous on the basis of these books. Paul says in Romans, no one will be declared righteous on account of the law. No one, we've all fallen short. We've all disobeyed the law of God. We've all fallen short that way. No one can stand in our own righteousness before a holy God. And that's, these books are open. And unless something changes, we're all standing guilty before a holy God. But another book, there's another option. This leaves one more option, the book of life. And another book was open, which is, The book of life, oh, yes, we've met that before in the book of Revelation, the book of life. Here are recorded the names of those who have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Those who have trusted in Christ are recorded here in the book of life. This is good news, guys. And we we rejoice in that. And it says... And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. So there's a review of this, these, these books, the book of works, the books of, of history and the book of our lives, and then the book of life. And then it says in verse 13, kind of building a culmination. And then the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades, death in the grave, gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Wow, this is a powerful image, guys. And it brings us to our second principle. The only final outcomes uh, in this uh, image, in this symbol, in this uh, future event, the day we will all remember, the only two outcomes are eternal life or eternal justice. That's it. There really aren't any other ways. There's no purgatory. It's never taught in the Bible. There's no second chance. There's no reincarnation. There's not going back and doing it and fixing it. There's not doing more things so you can earn your... No, it's either you have life and you're in the book of life, eternal life, or you face the pure justice of God, which we're all guilty before a holy God, apart from Christ. So that's pretty serious. Very sobering. And then verse 14, death and Hades... We're thrown into the lake of fire. So this is the second death, the lake of fire. So this is a separation from God forever. And death is thrown into the lake of fire. And Hades, that's the grave, we're thrown in the lake of fire. Paul, uh, Paul said that the last enemy of the human race is death. It's the fi- he says it's the final enemy to be defeated. It's death itself. So God, this is good news, principle number three, God conquers our very last enemy, and that's death itself. Because you're alive now. You've been raised from the dead and you're, 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 you're living with God. You're in the presence of God at this point. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the good news is he throws death and Hades into the lake of fire and it's destroyed. It's, it's eternally separated from God. So that's never going to bother you again. It's with Satan and, and, and all that is evil. So this is good news. God conquers. God conquers our last enemy, death itself. Vanquished. Some people see this and ask, what about this lake of fire? Is this symbolic? Is it literal? Um, Here's what I know. I I don't know about, there's many, by the way, there's more than just symbols of the lake of fire. There's, uh, Jesus talks about uh, eternal darkness. He talks about being a place where there's great misery, weeping and gnashing of teeth. I I don't know all the images and symbols. All I want to, all I'm going to tell you is that symbols are given to us to represent a reality and we ignore those symbols to our own peril. Um, and so whether this are all literally taken or not, it's, 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 it's so sobering and terrifying and frightening to think of being eternally separated from God and eternally punished and separated and the misery that comes because of being separated from God. And as we said earlier, ultimately people... Uh, are given what they want. In in the book of Revelation, they've got their whole lives, thousand years, and ultimately they reject the mercy of of God. In in other words, people are given, if they say, I don't want Jesus, I don't want his grace, I don't want his mercy, I don't want his love, I just want to be away from that. And they are given what they want. But what they want is to be separated from God. I don't want that. But what separation from God is, is to be separated from all that is good forever. And that is a sobering reality, my friends. Um, And then verse 15, and these are words that you want to take them mighty seriously. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Principle number four, our only hope is to be included in the book of life. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. These are very challenging and sobering and terrible words to read. And it's an everlasting judgment it's an everlasting separation. It never ends. And it's conscious, it would appear from the scriptures. And, you know, as you hear these words, you know, I think in 21st century America, people read these words and, you know, oh, they kind of roll their eyes, some, look at their watch, shake your head, check your cell phone, check for emails, whatever. But I'm telling you, throughout the Bible, this is what Jesus taught. This is what throughout the Bible what is taught is that there are extremely serious consequences, eternal consequences, for rejecting the love and mercy of Jesus. Because you're being thrown a lifeline. We are all guilty sinners. We're being thrown a lifeline, the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And if we say, I don't want it, then we perish. And guys... The scripture tells us God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's why he's delayed his second coming. That's why he's saying, I've given more time, more opportunity, because he's so long suffering. Today is a day of mercy, but that day will be a day of pure justice. And so there's really only one question that remains. How in the world do you get your name in the book of life? How do you get your name there? Because if you have, if your name's there, we we'll look at Revelation 21, 22, and it's an unimaginably happy, joyful experience beyond our wildest dreams. We want to make sure our names are written in the book of life. Ron Hutchcraft, um, great author, wrote a story of the World Trade Center. Not 9-11, but actually before 9-11, where there was a bomb that went off. Kevin Shea was a New York firefighter from Fire Department Rescue Company number one. It was 12:20 on a Friday afternoon. His company got a call to the World Trade Center, those famous twin towers that fell on 9-11 in Lower Manhattan. I don't think his crew fully realized what had happened that day. A bomb blast ripped through the basement of the World Trade Center, killing six people. It injured more than a thousand people, emptied out those buildings, ripped a hole hundred feet across and three stories deep. A few minutes after the explosion, Kevin Shea and his fire company pulled up. He had already been decorated for heroism in the line of duty, and he was now inching his way across the parking garage of the World Trade Center. Suddenly the concrete beneath him gave way and he fell four floors into the crater left by the bomb. His partner saw it, and as he looked into the crater, he saw roaring flames down there. He said, quote, I saw his feet, and it looked like he was falling into hell. There is only one reason Kevin Shea didn't die that day. That day, a day to remember, firefighter Kevin Shea landed on a pile uh, of office room dividers, which broke his fall as well as his left knee and foot. And in the fall, he lost his helmet and his face mask. The flames were coming his way, and later he said, quote, rocks and cinders were falling everywhere, and I thought, this is it. And I prayed to God just to take me quick. But Lieutenant Joe Ward lowered himself right into the fiery crater. And by the glow of the flames, he found Kevin Shea, reached out a hand to rescue him, and hoisted him to safety. Someone came to where he was, Faced his fire and brought him back. This is what the Son of God did for us. One word from the Word of God comes to us from Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 5. Speaking of Jesus Christ, the prophet writes He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought uh, us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Bible makes it clear that like sheep that are away from their shepherd, we are away from God. Every single one of us has turned to our own way. The Bible says, Romans six twenty-three, that there is a death penalty for that. The wages of sin is death. What you earn for sin is death, separation from God, physically first, and then separation from God eternally. Literally, we are falling into hell. No matter how good a person I have been, I have run my own life, I have a sin bill, and there is no way for me to pay it. No religion can ever pay it. The only way to pay it is to be away from God forever, and that's hell. The only way to pay it is to be away from God forever, and that's hell. But wait, someone is coming in your direction through the fire. He's God's only son. He knows we will never make it to him. So he comes to us and to our world. And he says, Father, I will face Quentin's fire. Put your name in there. I will face Jill's fire. I will face Brandon's fire. I will face... Kelly's fire. He takes our hell as he dies on the cross. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him at the cross, and he died so that you don't have to die spiritually. Listen to the voice of Jesus through the flames, offering his hand to you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Believe This is what the fallen firefighter did that day. You can do that right now and say, Lord, I am sorry for my sin. I know I'm a guilty sinner. I turn from it. I'm pinning all my hopes on you and what you did on the cross to have my sin forgiven. And my friend, you can do that right now where you are. Please, do not reject the hand of the one who loves you enough to face your hell, your fire, so you don't have to. That's a very, 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 very powerful thing to consider, my friend. Please. Some of you are hearing this and say, how could a loving God send people to hell? He does not desire anyone to perish. He sent his holy son so that people would not go to hell. But ultimately, C.S. Lewis says, ultimately, God will say to every, either it's you say to God, your will be done, Or God says to you, okay, your will be done. If you want to reject me, if you want to be, to spurn the love of God and reject the cross, your will be done. But instead he invites us with arms of compassion and incredible long-suffering and patience for every single person, no matter how or what they've done in their lives. He welcomes them to come. There's no good reason for you not to trust in Jesus. There's not a single one. Well, you know, if I became a Christian, you know, my friends wouldn't like me anymore. C.H. Spurgeon, I love what he said one time. He says, you know, I would do a lot of things for my friends. Going to hell isn't one of them. (laughs) No, I'm not going to go to hell for my friends. Some hear this and they're like, wow, this is pretty heavy stuff, Pastor Quentin. But we're at Revelation. This is where we are, guys. We're at the lake of fire. And these are sobering realities that happen throughout the scriptures. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And an awesome respect for God is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of wisdom. There's more to wisdom than just respecting God's authority and understanding that we are accountable to him. There's more to wisdom than, than that. But it's the beginning of wisdom. You're an unwise person if you don't take seriously the fact that God is your judge. And we all answer to God. He made us. He created us. And he loves us. And he sent his son to die for us. So please trust in him many many years ago there was a young 16 year old girl in church and there was a series of meetings at the church uh, there had been kind of this evangelist the church had brought in and he had had several nights and it was youth night and it was the last night his name was Herb Bewalda and uh, Herb um, got up and Herb said you know folks I sense that some of you are holding back from trusting in Jesus, from giving your lives to Jesus and accepting his love and mercy and kindness. So I didn't want to do this, Herb says, but tonight I sense now you're holding out, so I'm going to talk about hell. And on that night, Herb Bewalda talked about hell just like I'm talking about it right now. There was a 16-year-old girl in that crowd that night and she said, you know, she waited out and she thought, you know, I, I want to I believe in Jesus. I, I want to go to heaven. I, I, I want to be declared not guilty. I, I want to be loved by God for all eternity. I don't want to go to hell. And so on that night, she trusted in Jesus Christ. She gave her life to Christ. Some people say, well, that, that's, that's never, that's never going to change anybody because, you know, they just, you know, they just didn't want to go to hell. Um, guys, it, it seems to have stuck. Because I know that 16-year-old girl, she is my wife, the awesome Ruth Steve. She came to know the Lord during a message just like this about hell. And that can be you too. If you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, as you listen to this, this is my, I've been a pastor here a long time. It's a very important message. This is the day you will always remember. Today is a day that you know, yes, I've trusted in Christ and you, you're confident of that. There's others, that I'm not sure. Today you put a stake in the ground and you say, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. You know, imagine this, there's two chairs. One is, is resting in a chair that's your own works and your own righteousness. The other is resting in a chair that is fully in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That one chair, what we do, our religion, our, our sacraments we take, our good works, all the things that we do, they're not sufficient. They will fall. But if we trust in Christ and just lay our whole selves, everything in the mess that we are, and trust completely in Jesus, he saves us. Why would you reject that? It just makes no sense whatsoever. So please trust in him. In the days of the pioneers, when people saw the prairie fire was coming, what would they do? Since not even the fastest of horses could outrun the fire, the pioneers took a match and burned the grass in a designated area around them. And they burned all the grass around them. And there in the middle, they they would take their stand in the middle, in the burned area, and they would be safe from the threatening prairie fire. And as the roar of the flames approached, they would not be afraid at all. Even as the ocean fire surged around them, there was no fear because fire had already passed over the place where they stood. When the judgment of God comes to sweep men and women into eternity, there is only one spot that is safe. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the wrath of God was poured out on Calvary. And there the Son of God took the wrath that should have fallen on us. He took the fire. It was the fire of hell upon himself. And now if we take our stand by the cross, we are safe for time and for eternity. Guys, this is, this is powerful stuff. And I plead with you, if you've never trusted in Jesus, please do so. And maybe you have trusted in Christ. And I just, this sobering message, I, I, I want you to think, you know, what about the people in my life who don't know Jesus? And I just want to encourage you, to weigh the gravity of what we're talking about here, to, to think about it and to be very prayerful about those folks and to love them and show them kindness and mercy and do whatever you can to build bridges for the gospel. And when the door is open, when there's opportunity, and there often are, and, off, and sometimes you have to ask, and sometimes it's scary, but you have an opportunity to give them the message of hope. Please, please, don't wimp out. Francis Chan, when he was reading through a passage, a great author and pastor said, a passage like this, he was reading because What causes my heart to ache right now as I'm writing this is that my life shows that little evidence is that I actually believe this message of this day of judgment. Because every time my thoughts wander to the future of unbelievers, I quickly brush them aside so they don't ruin my day. But there is a reality here that I cannot ignore. Even as the conversations of people around me fill my ears, the truth of Scripture penetrates my heart with sobering statements about their destinies. And we can talk about the fate of some hypothetical person, but as I look up and see their smiles, the smiles of my friends and my coworkers and my family members, I have to ask myself if I really believe what I have taught about judgment and about hell. Because hell is for real, am I? Do I care? Do I love people enough? I'm not saying guys, please no. And by the way, it's not like we're gonna have this heavy of a message every week, next week, next three weeks, we'll talk about heaven. But guys, this is an important message and it is absolutely clear from the pages of scripture. And Jesus, the lips of Jesus Christ himself. Don't believe me. (laughs) Listen to Jesus and the words that we just read. It's very important. And the good news is we can take our stand at the cross and we never need to fear a thing. Father in heaven, right now, I just pray for anybody who they hear this and they they think about the day of judgment and they, they know We all know our sin. We all know our shortcomings. We all know that we can't stand before a holy God in the day of judgment. We'd all be found guilty. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus declares us not guilty when we trust in him. That's an incredibly powerful thing. I'm not guilty. And not only do we not go to hell, we inherit eternal life. And I pray for even one person today day who today needs to say yes to you. And I pray that they would pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I want this in my life. Please, I trust in you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you were raised from the dead. Thank you that you live today. And thank you that you spoke to me today through this serious, sobering passage. And today, I trust in you. I put my faith completely in you and you alone. And I just wanna give my life to you. Thank you that when I trust in you, I can know that my name is written in the book of life. And on the final day, when those books are opened, there will be my name written right there for all to see. And everybody agreed and said, amen. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging with us and uh, take this message, take it to heart and uh, we'll see you next uh, weekend when we talk about uh, the eternal state of heaven and the glories that are to come. Can't wait to connect again.